2 Peter 1, verses 2 to 10. There we go. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I love that. I'm going to stop right there. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. You can't experience God's grace and God's peace without the knowledge of God. We've got to understand, we've got to have the knowledge of God in order to experience his grace and his peace. And he goes on, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these great and precious promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness. Gosh, that's quite frightening. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, if you do these things, you will never stumble. In other words, you will never fall away. So we remember last week, I would really encourage you, if you weren't here, to go and listen to last week's message. We did the foundation of it, of talking about virtue, talking about what, what is virtue? Virtue is moral excellence. It's about integrity, and we've got to add to our faith virtue. So, but as part of last week's message, I shared a little bit of my testimony and shared how at salvation, when we get saved, we aren't given this new personality. We don't get a new character dropped down into us. Because in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13, the Bible says, work out your own salvation. Notice it says, work out your own, not somebody else's, okay? We're not the sheriff of the church. We need to work out, at, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. God works in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. As God works in us, he changes our desire. He changes our will. He changes our want to. He changes our affections. And our affections suddenly become, we want to do things that please him for his good pleasure. No longer man pleaser, but a God pleaser. And this isn't, <clears throat> this isn't about behavior modification. It's not, we're not saying join the church and become like us. No, you've got your personality and I've got mine and your character and you've got your foibles and I've got mine. But we come as we are. But the whole purpose of this is that we are called to conform to the image of Jesus. We are, that's the purpose of it, about being more Christ-like. Why should we become more Christ-like? 
you know, like, why? Why can't I just stay as I am? I don't want to stay as I am, first and foremost, but because we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. We are to represent Jesus to a lost and dying world. And in order to do that, we've got to, we've got to reconcile man to God. But in order to do that, we've got to be able, we've got to be a good ambassador. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ, but we need to be effective and we need to be authentic. You be you, you be the best you, but God, God will add as he works in you, he will add things into you. And you know, when we, when we go and witness to people and when we're testifying about the goodness of God, you know, just hopefully, hopefully they will see a little bit of Jesus in you and me. You know, that when we're sharing Christ, that they won't see the me, but they'll see a little bit of Jesus in me. It's about being authentic witnesses. And Peter says here, a little bit earlier, he says that through God's divine power and his promises that we may be partakers of God's divine nature. And that word partaker is often used in the context of eating food, isn't it? You know, you go and partake of a meal. I mean, you don't really say it like that, you know. Would you like to come over and partake of a meal tonight? No. <laughs> but you know what you do? You partake of it. Is you eat it. You digest it. So in order to be a partaker of the divine nature, we can't just be an onlooker. We can't just be a bystander. We can't just be a spectator. No, to be a partaker means to be a participant, to be a partner. There's an action required on our part. God does his part in us at, at salvation. We are made new creatures in Christ, but we need to do our part. We've also got a part to play. And it doesn't just happen by automatic download. You know, does, we've not given a floppy disk in the old days, as I said, given a floppy disk, insert floppy disk A, enter, enter, it's all done, sorted, I'm sorted out now. No. In order to partake of God's divine nature, we need to be intentional and purposeful and deliberate. And that's why he says, in 2 Peter 1 verse 5, Peter says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Giving all diligence. Give it your full attention. Make every effort. And he's saying, we do it. God doesn't do it. We must do it. And I love the fact that he starts at the very foundation, faith. Faith is the foundation. And we're not speaking about here whether I have a faith. Uh, I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a Muslim, or I'm an atheist. That's not the faith that we're talking about here. We're talking about having faith in God, that we are a born-again child of God. We, our faith is in Jesus for our salvation that faith we need to add to. That faith that we received by grace, by the goodness of God, a free gift of God, through faith. Faith isn't meant, we've got to add to that faith. But that faith isn't meant to be dormant or static. It's, it's meant to grow. It's meant to increase. It's, may, it's, it's to be made stronger. We can start off with a mustard seed, but the purpose of the mustard seed is it's got to grow. It's got to grow. So faith is the foundation, 
But then Peter adds these starting blocks, these, these building blocks. But faith is the starting block. But we need to add to it. So last week, that is just my introduction. So last week, we made every effort to add to our faith virtue, moral excellence, integrity. Remember, integrity coming from a Latin word, integer, which means whole, complete, undivided. And that our lives need to be that whole, undivided life unto God in all aspects of our lives. We need to live integrated lives. What you see in public should be what is, what is evident in private, that there's no disparity between the two. So be a person of yes in a world of maybe. You know, the world won't commit to anything. Well, maybe I'll see. No, let's be a person of yes. That's a person of integrity when, we, when, our, when our yes is yes and our no is no. So this week, we're looking at the next building block, knowledge, knowledge, and we're going to do the same. We're going to give all diligence. We're going to give it our full attention. We're going to make every effort to add to our virtue, knowledge. But I'm not speaking here about knowledge for knowledge's sake, to being a know-it-all, to having a big fat head, you know, do you know how much I know? No. The Bible says that we're going to add to our virtue. Virtue is moral goodness. It's moral excellence. So the knowledge that we, that we are adding to is to be used for good. It's to be, add, it's to be used for good. It's not, it's not one-upmanship. It's not about being able to prove how much you know. You know, I think nowadays um, knowledge is weaponized. You know, you might have heard the expression, knowledge is power. Well, my brothers and my sisters, this should not be so. You know, we shouldn't be using knowledge for one-upmanship over each other. Knowledge without understanding is basically meaningless. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And then Proverbs 4, 7 says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. So knowledge is good, but, it, but just having knowledge in itself is of no value. We've got to have understanding and wisdom. And how do we, how do we get wisdom? Like the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. We get wisdom through knowledge. And there's no shortcuts. It's not like we wake up one day and we're this wise sage and we have all wisdom or we're this wise old owl. No, there's no shortcuts. We've got to, we've got to have knowledge first. And wisdom is applied knowledge. Knowledge starts off in our head but then it needs to drop into our hearts. Wisdom needs to drop, head knowledge needs to drop from our head into our heart and apply it. When heart knowledge is digested, when it's um, partaken, when, when we take that, that knowledge that has dropped from our head into our heart, we eat it, we digest it, we feed on it, that produces in our lives. And the way that that knowledge drops from our head 
into our heart is by experience. And I'm not saying, well, if you've only been saved for one day, well, then you don't qualify. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved for. If you've been saved for one day, one week, one month, one year, 10 years, it doesn't matter. But the knowledge drops from your head into heart by experience, by, working, by walking out in the knowledge and the truth that you've received. So you could have received the smallest seed of faith, but the way that that, that translates into wisdom, into understanding, is by experience, by working out that piece of knowledge. This, this, this walk of faith even starts with knowledge. You know, you can't get saved without knowledge. You've got, the Bible says, how can, you, how can you hear unless someone is sent? You've got to be able to hear the message or read the message in order to get saved. Faith, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing. And that is true. But faith also comes by knowing. By, by knowing in your head and believing in your heart. That's how faith comes. You hear the truth, you receive it, you digest it, you partake of it, and then you embrace it and you live it out. You live it out. It becomes, you get understanding. And that's not the end. That's just the beginning. That's just the beginning how faith works. John 8 verse 32, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's not automatic. It shall make. It's a process. But you first need to abide in the Word of God. That word to abide means to remain, to endure. You can't just abide in the Word in your head. It means there's a permanence to it. And then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's in the doing, it's in the doing that you get the knowing. The Bible also says, be a, don't be a hearer only, but being a doer of the word. And only just be a doer of the word you know. You don't have to worry about what you don't know, but just get busy doing the word you do know. And as you do that word, that word makes you free. It's a process. I love Psalm 119. It says, I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your word. That's another version of Romans 8.32. You know, just in preparation for this, I was reminded of somebody that we knew, a girl called Haley. And um, this girl, we, we kind of supported her in one way, in, a, in a, some kind of a format at one time. This girl was a heroin addict. She was a, the niece of a, of a friend of ours in our church in in Wales. And this girl, she was the most scrawny, pale, pimply-faced heroin addict. Her life was a mess. This girl was, she could have died. She was a young girl. And um, she gave her heart to the Lord. She went uh, to a place called Teen Challenge, and she heard the truth of Jesus Christ, 
She received the word of God. She got delivered. She walked it out. And to this day, this girl, Hayley Miles, she ministers all throughout the UK nationally. She's a minister of the gospel. She's got her BA honors degree. She's got, you know, she's just, a t she's this beautiful woman. You can't believe it's the same person. But there was, the, you know, that was the outworking of this woman from a heroin addict to a, to, a, to a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing people, hundreds of people saved. That's from knowledge. She heard the word of God, and she applied that word of God to her life. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's the application of our knowledge. Knowledge understands that the traffic light has turned red, and Wisdom applies the brakes. That's a way of seeing it. Or knowledge sees the quicksand and wisdom takes another route. Knowledge memorizes the word, but wisdom does it. Is, that, is it sort of making sense? Hey? There is a difference between knowledge, understanding, and then wisdom works it out. Wisdom is our heart response to the knowledge of God. You know, I don't know if you remember a while ago, some time ago, there used to be these bracelets that you could use, that you could wear, and it said WWJD. And it was, it, those words, those letters meant, what would Jesus do? Like you needed a reminder, you know, if you know, what would Jesus do under these circumstances? But you know what? And, and that's okay, if that's what's needed, you know, go back to wearing your bracelet. But do it. What would Jesus do? Not just what would he do, but do it. Do it. And that would be, so what would Jesus do would be the knowledge, but just do it is the wisdom. It's the working out. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says, and we know this, God desires all men to be, to be saved. We know that. God wants everyone to be saved. He's not trying to keep anybody out of heaven. But that verse goes on. It says, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's not just about getting saved, it's about coming to a knowledge of the truth. And, and it's not just knowledge of what we think is the truth. You know, sometimes we can think something, it can sound pretty good. It can sound really good, but it doesn't line up with the word. You know, we don't have this Bette Midler theology that from a distance, God is watching us. That's the biggest lie. That is such a lie. Sounds beautiful, lovely melody. She's got a beautiful voice, but the words are wrong. God is not watching us from a distance. God is engaged in our everyday lives. So we need to be, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul warns us that we shouldn't be children, that we should no longer be children. Remember last week we covered all this, that we should no longer be children being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. What's the latest fad? This is the new thing. No, I'm sorry. But the Bible says in Ephesians, it says, but that rather we should grow in the knowledge of Christ. Let's grow in the knowledge of Christ. Let's stay firm and steadfast. We're not going to follow the fads of the world. We're not going to get taken out by deception. Because he says, Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 8, he says, if these things, those things that he spoke about, 
virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, and all those things. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I want to know everything there is to know. I want to know as much as possible. Not so I can walk around with a fat head and a thin heart. Thin heart. I just want to know him. I just want to know him better. So we need to grow in knowledge, grow in character, grow in moral excellence. We've got to add that other dimension to our lives. We are not called to be gray men in gray suits, living gray nine to five jobs. That's not what we're called to do. You know, we call, our lives we are supposed to be sort of multifaceted, like that diamond we spoke of last week. In Ephesians chapter 3, I love this scripture, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, speaks about the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to principalities and powers. What I love about this is that the, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. If the church is going to make the manifold wisdom known to principalities and powers, then the church needs to know about the manifold wisdom of God. And what does manifold wisdom mean? I'm glad you asked. It means multifaceted, multifaceted, much variegated, different colors, different dimensions. This is God's wisdom. Intricate, complex, many-sided. This morning I got Chris to go and climb a tree. And he, our neighbor has this beautiful maple tree it's stunning. It's so perfectly made. It's so beautiful. But on that same tree is one of these leaves. It's because this tree is a variegated maple tree. Look at the different colors. Isn't it beautiful? This is, that's variegated. Not plain, but variegated. And that's what the wisdom of God is like. It's variegated. It's colorful. It's, it's like um, when they talk about Joseph, and you, you see this, the show up in London, just read the story in the Bible, but he had this coat of many colors. That's variegated. That's, um, that's that word manifold. There are this manifold wisdom of God, this manifold wisdom of God with different attributes, different characteristics in our God. We, we sang about him earlier. We sang to him, how great is our God. James chapter 3 talks about the wisdom of God. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is meek, and that doesn't mean weak. Meekness is strength under control. God is wisdom. He, he, he's, he's meek in his wisdom. He doesn't blast us with his wisdom. He, there is the meekness of wisdom. I think it describes it so beautifully. And it says in that scripture, let him show by good conduct. In other words, there's an outworking. There's an outworking. It's not just in his head that the works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 
And then James 3.17 talks about the wisdom, that manifold wisdom of God. It says, the wisdom that is from above, from God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the manifest, the manifold wisdom of God. First of all, it's pure, it's gentle, it's peaceable, it's willing to yield, willing to yield. We're not going to be uh, stubborn, okay? We're going to be willing to yield, full of mercy, full of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the manifold wisdom of God that's available to us. So we've got to keep adding to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge to be a partaker of God's divine nature. God's divine nature. You know, one of God's attributes, you might know this, is that he is, here comes a big word, omniscient. That means all-knowing, all-knowing. In other words, God knows everything about everything. That's amazing, you know? He knows everything about everything. Listen to these three scriptures quickly come up on the screen. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, how beautiful. Hey, doesn't the word just paint such beautiful, it paints it so beautifully. 1 John 3:20 says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. God's understanding is infinite. It's, it's limitless. There's no end. It's impossible to measure, in fact, his understanding, the understanding that God has. And we're just going to end on Psalm 139. You know, the, the psalmist David wrote this psalm, and it's such a, I think it's a real great challenge for us as well in today's world that we live in. Psalm 139, the psalmist David says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. In other words, God has personal knowledge of David. David, a man after God's own heart, you think, oh wow, easy, you know, tick that box, he got away with everything. No, he, he, was, he committed murder, he committed adultery, and yet he was a God, man after God's own heart. Why? Because he repented, because he, he sought God's heart after he had done all this wrong. And he says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known, known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. God knows everything about me. My everyday events. He knows when I'm sitting down and he knows when I'm going to go put the kettle on and go make a cup of tea and go back upstairs. He knows everything. He knows my sitting down and my rising up. God, you understand my thought afar off. God knows what you're thinking. Like, oh, oh. Can you imagine if you had this video screen up here, you know? But God understands 
my thought afar off. He understands the intentions of my heart. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows my motives. He knows my agendas. He knows everything about me. You comprehend my path and my lying down. In other words, God knows where I'm going. He knows where I'm going. You are acquainted with all my ways. He knows all your ways, all your idiosyncrasies. He knows everything about you. You know, if you've been married long enough to the same person, you also get to know each other's ways and idiosyncrasies, and it's a good thing, but God knows us even better. Just talking to Chris, we talk a lot, believe it or not, but we do, we talk a lot. And just saying, you know, how, how much God is revealing to us now with stuff that we never even thought of that he that we, that's becoming evident in our lives that as we journey as we continue to journey with the lord suddenly we realize oh god's done something in my life and i hadn't even sort of realized that that needed a work in my life but he's just working in the background of our lives you know you are acquainted with all of my ways for there is not a word on my tongue but behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. He knows every innuendo. God knows everything about every word we speak. God is all-knowing. He knows everything about you, your strengths, your weaknesses, where you've been, where you're going to, what you say, what you think, and he still loves you. He still loves me. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't judge us. He doesn't condemn us. What confidence David, the psalmist, has in his God that he can say, he ends it again with Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. He invites God to search him again and know my heart, know what's going on in my heart, and try me and know my anxieties. Know everything about me. He can still repeat right from the beginning. He says, you have searched me, you have known me. And he goes through this whole psalm and he says, search me again. Know my heart and try me and, and my, know my anxieties. We can have confidence in God, that the God who knows us. But our purpose is to know him. Our purpose is to know him. David had total trust in God based on his knowledge of God. He knew his God, and that is our purpose. That's why, this, that's why it's so important to add to our virtue, to add to our integrity, knowledge of God. And I've written out a string of aspects of God, of, of the character of God and who he is. And, um, but we need to get to know him in an even deeper level than what we already do now but to know that he is holy. God is holy. God is good. God is just. God is kind. This is knowledge that we can, that we can, that we can receive and process and partake of and allow this knowledge just to go from my head into my heart. He's infinite. He's limitless. He's patient. God is faithful. He is love. God is all-knowing. He is forgiving. He changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has no hidden agenda. 
He has no hidden agenda. His motive for you and for you and for me is love, acceptance. That is his motive. He never changes. His agenda is fixed. God is always holy. God is always good. God is always faithful. God is always kind. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It's no reflection on who God is. Finish off with the Apostle, the Apostle Paul wrote this in, 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 in Philippians. He says, oh, that I may know him that I may know him, that, in fact, the Amplified says, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. And that's what our purpose is, is to know him, to know him. And 2 Peter 1, 8, I'll finish with this, is that if these things, these components, virtue, integrity, knowledge, self-control, brotherly kindness, love, perseverance, all these, all these building blocks that Peter talks about, if these are yours and increasingly abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.